0: the take command podcast here from odyssey sports make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app apple podcast spotify in fact you can just subscribe to us right on the odyssey app if you want we are anywhere you get your pods all right uh other if, if i were to say outside of Jahan dodson who is the rookie that most excites you who would that be oh
1: man that's a really good question i think um I think the easy one would be to say uh, Federian Fider- Mathis. Mm. Like, he's the second-round pick, you know, da-da-da. And I think, I think a lot of people were irritated by the pick, you know, saying, like, why not Brisker, why not, um, you know, Troy Anderson, all these guys that were available at that time period. But, like, when you watch him play, he's a dynamic football player. He's got excellent arm length. I think he's got 34 and a half inch arms, 35-and-a-half-inch arms, which is crazy for an interior defensive lineman. Yeah, he, uses, yeah. he uses that length well he's a good athlete, he understands how to play the run game, he's a very, like, I did a breakdown with him uh, and Coach Rivera, and off-camera Ron was like, he's unselfish, and that was really important to us in the evaluation, and, like, if you if you look at the team and the defensive line, for example, and how they struggled over the course of the year, it was when guys were not playing as a group, and so this is a guy who kind of embodies that team-first mentality, so in terms of fit, in terms of value, I think I think he's going to help this team a lot, I think he's going to make Cole better. I think he's going to make Jamin better. I think he's going to make your Cinco, your five defensive lineman package better because he can play a true nose. You know, you allow Payne to bump out and play the three technique, which is great. Um, I think it makes your Buffalo nickel package better. I think it allows Butler potentially to play your Buffalo nickel. Like he's Mm. not, you know, the most physical dude. He's very physical as a tackler, but I don't know if you want him taking on blocks, you know, 30 times a game. Like like he's, he's not afraid. He's got good courage. He plays physical, but like Butler runs a four-three. Let him cover grass and let him be a dynamic blitzer, which is what he can be in, in that role if he's not playing the post. So I think I think he just adds value in that way. And then I think the other guy would be Butler. Like he's a guy that like I didn't know a lot about him, but when you turn on the tape, like to see a safety who runs a four-three and then that shows up on film is very very rare. I can only think of a handful of guys, and all of them were exceptional in the NFL. I'm not saying he's gonna he's got that he's gonna be one of those guys. You know, um, the safety for. Um, Seattle all those years what was his name
0: Uh, Earl Thomas or Earl Thomas
1: he's not going to be Earl Thomas necessarily not your Earl Thomas not your Ed Reed yeah right but like that's to see a safety with that kind of sideline to sideline range who's again he's not a big man but he's a very physical tackler right and he's he's got that explosion from the hips like he gets me excited because he gives you some flexibility in the back end Cam Crow can play the Buffalo nickel maybe Butler plays the Buffalo nickel you know in certain situations you know, it just, it's a nice piece to add back there. So I think, yeah, both those guys are pretty exciting in terms of what they do for the defense and they have a role and a path to the field that's there right now.
0: Right. So I want to circle back to Mathis in a second and talk yep. a little bit more about value, but um, actually I, because it was my time on that, on the beat that there is a recent pick for Washington who ran a four, three at safety and he looked incredible as a rookie. And then things Half went feet. sideways. Monte. Nicholson oh I mean Apke too but Apke's never really played safety like he he was always special teams and you know never really got out there at safety but like Monte the first six games of Monte's career like if he had kept up that level that dude was going to the hall of fame like he was incredible he had no idea what he was doing that was like the best of DJ Swearinger as well where DJ was actually like locked in and Tell basically would tell Monte you go there and Monte would be like okay and he went there and yeah. he got there fast and you know it was big hits so he got a, had an interception I think in, in that mix yeah. um, was making tackles no one got behind him like it was it was incredible and you saw how the speed that he had and that range affected the game unfortunately he ultimately wound up getting concussed and obviously things went really sideways for him and right. you know ultimately gets kick, you know kicked off the team essentially um, for an off- the field incident but the concussions and, and everything it was really, really scary for Monte. And, and I always, you know, it was, it was, I always enjoyed talking to him and I thought there was like mm-hmm. a really sweet kid in there who got really messed up by football. And sometimes that happens. Um, It's, yeah. it's a violent game. But when you talk about the ability to, you know, like, I also think too, on the, like the four, three side, the safety side of, of things um, Peyton Manning on like his when he does like the what's it called the ESPN Plus series that he does um, Peyton's places yeah. and he'll go talk with Ed Reed or talk with Ray Lewis about Ed Reed or talk about Earl Thomas or whatever and, and the way he describes those guys or Troy Polamalu where you just have to know where they are because they will show up in places that you don't expect four right. three speed is one thing but you have to know where you're supposed to be and how right. to get there and and how to use that and. You know, I, I, that's what I'd be curious about when you watch Butler on tape, like, how does that show up? Is there, is there that high level football intelligence and not say like, if there's not like he's a football dummy, I'm not, I'm not trying to put that on him either, but like what shows up on tape in terms of his ability to read things, what kind of responsibilities was he given by his coaches? And then obviously we'll see as he gets to the NFL level with NFL coaching, what his capacity to learn is. And and then he, he can potentially unlock those physical traits.
1: Right, yeah, I think I think he did a lot. He did a lot of different stuff. He played the post safety, probably the majority of the games that I watched. But he also played in the box, played the overhang player. So obviously, a smart guy, kind of played multiple positions within the defense. I think he shows solid instincts, which is why he's kind of fun to watch. I don't think he shows, you know, elite instincts. Right, he's not. He's like, not
0: going to be Palomalu.
1: Correct. Which like he's okay. He's fine. Very, he, he's very very solid, and I and I think you you see like a very good football player. And I think people say, oh, that's a, oh, you know, Logan doesn't like him. That's a knock. That's not a knock, man. I want my roster to be comprised of good football players, to be quite frank. I don't want this kind of, oh, you know, this high ups. Like, he's going to, he will play this year. He'll play on offense. He'll play, he'll play on defense. And he might play on special teams if he's not playing too much on defense. Like, and that's, when you draft a guy in the fourth, that's tremendously important. Because you, you get essentially like a pseudo starter, a role-playing starter. I think that's so important. So again, maybe not the most instinctive guy of, of all time, but solid instincts, good speed of the ball, aggressive, good blitzer, like all it's like all those things that are important, and he'll contribute to this, to this team and, and make the football team better.
0: Right. The, the instincts thing is is twofold, right? Because on one side, you have do you have the instincts of Troy Polamalu, right? You make these right. insane plays that nobody can fathom, and and you just seem to have a, like a supernatural sense. But there's yep. also do, like how high is your floor? And, yeah. and I think at the safety position, especially, that's really important, too, because yeah. if you screw up at safety, like your name is safety. You are the one who is <laughs> supposed to prevent the, the worst things from happening. And so there even if you don't have the ability to make a ton of big plays to make game changing plays outside of the ones that fall to you, if you simply consistently make the plays that you're supposed to, that's really valuable, too. And it yeah. sounds like that's kind of where he is.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, like he has the ability to make some splash plays. Like he'll like on tape. The thing I love about him probably the most is like when he sees it, he comes out of middle field or he comes out of the box player. You know, the eighth man in the box. He is aggressive to the football. He'll get a TFL, physical. T- you know, so it, there are some flash splash plays to his game that make you think he's got maybe a higher ceiling than what he showed at school. But I do think that yeah, like he's he's gonna he's gonna come in and just be very solid. Like I got to talk to him a little bit. He loves football. Like it's it's just it's a cool it's a good fit for the organization, good fit for the team. So I think yeah, like I I I like the pick a lot, and I think it's good value in the fourth. And that's just that's one man's opinion though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So Mathis, I heard you talking about him uh, with Russell and Medhurst last week, and you just brought up like kind of an interesting larger conversation about draft value that I think is really important, which is that. Sure, other people may not have had a higher grade on him, but he fits exactly what they need out of that position. And this is where it gets tricky, though, because at the end of the day, you need to draft. You're not just, like, drafting random players based off a uh, comprehensive big board. If I draft the best player available on the, you know, take all the mock drafts, average, and whatever they call that thing, like the comprehensive mock draft, um, Mm -hmm. and I just draft the highest guy, and I am a... Three four team, and I draft a four three N. Like, that wasn't a very good pick at the yeah. same to- or at the same time by the same token, or at the same token if you want to combine your cliches. <laughs> you have to understand what the value of a player is so that you can potentially draft another good player and then that player later or trade yeah. down and, and try to maximize your value. And so, like to make an analogy out of it, as if I didn't torture the whatever cliche I just did already, like if you have something meaning, like if you have a a piece of jewelry that's like meaningful to your family, someone else might want that piece of jewelry because it's gold or diamonds or whatever, but the value is higher to you, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's sentimental value in that. Um, And so, balancing where you're gonna take the thing that means the most to you. Versus understanding that you're part of a larger system that's going to place value on the individual players in terms of their draft stock is really important. So big wind up to, uh, to put it into like a question form to you. How do teams actually go about trying to find out on an intel side what everyone else thinks so they know where to properly draft guys? Even if they think they have a steal where they're like, we love this guy. We think everyone else isn't as high on him we got to make sure how, how would do teams go about getting that Intel?
1: So I actually, like I posed that question to Ron when I had that interview with him uh, about like his draft process. And he said, that's really challenging. He said, that's almost impossible for him to do. They They have methods that they do. He's like some scout. Like he, he said, like, you know, I'll go and, take a look through some draft catalogs because like scouts will sell their evaluations potentially to these different magazines and you might get a little nugget in there from somebody. I thought that was some pretty good insight, you know, kind of behind the curtain. And um, so that's one element. And then like the way I do it is like, and I know my friends do this too, is like we're doing tight ends, for example. So I'll call my tight end coach buddy in, in Denver and be like, what do you think of this guy? And he'll give me like his kind of song and dance about the player that he likes. Then I'll call my next buddy and he'll say, oh, I like this guy more and you just kind of do that but you always kind of kind of take it with a grain of salt because the guy that he really likes he doesn't want that to get out there in the world. He doesn't want people to know who he really really likes cuz he wants that guy. That's the guy he wants the most. So it's so that that's where it gets a little bit challenging and I, I you know I, that's where I came to this conclusion basically that there's no such thing as absolute draft value. Even on like the consensus big board with all the mock drafts like that is such a small kind of unnuanced population that's cultivating those, right? Even in the media, guys that I have a lot of respect for, like Daniel Jeremiah, I think he works his tail off to make those, right? Watches a ton of film, got to talk to him at the Combine, like his process is awesome. But that's one person. An organization takes... Regional scout takes, you know, local scout and then takes your director of scouting. Then the coach gives their evaluation and you're getting all of these p- opinions aggregated together that present you with your board essentially, right? And I think that's so important to understand. So like any person in that process could like or dislike one quality of a player that taints the player th- through the rest of the evaluation. So that's why you end up with these kind of drastic, like, like the New England Patriots in this last year's draft. Drafting that guard from... Uh, uh, Chattanooga in the first round. Everyone I talked to really liked him, but they're like, I think he's a third round player. And I think that's probably a fair evaluation. When I watched him, like I loved his tape, all the things were good. But again, New England said, we think he's that good and he's that important to our team that we cannot risk losing him to another player. And like you said, there is some, there's an element of overvaluing something that you think is really important based on your process. I don't think Washington did that with Fedarian. Like you talk to certain teams and I know for a fact there's a team, I'm not going to say which team, but they had him with first a first-round grade. Oh, wow. Right? And then there's another team you talk to, and it's, oh, he's a late third-round third, third round pick, right? So how do you balance that out? What is different about the valuation? And basically I said on the conclusion, like, when you watch him, he is an NFL starting player, a rotational player, Fedarian, mm-hmm. right? He's going to make this defense better because of fit. And when I talked to Ron in that interview process, he said fit was maybe the most important thing that they looked at in, in, in evaluating players. So obviously he's a tremendous fit, he's good, his film is very good, he plays hard, he's a good teammate, he's a good leader, he's a captain. So those things, I think all four of those things together mean like, even though it might have been a little bit of a reach, they valued him so much that it's not that much of a reach. I'm not like crying about it. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh my gosh, they made this big mistake. It's like, yeah, they maybe picked him 10 spots too high, you know, in my opinion, but again, like how do you take his value and his fit for the team and say, oh Troy Anderson's more important than him or um, Brisker out of Penn State's more important than him you, you can't it's 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 impossible
0: right and the funny thing is some people as some people pointed out after if they had taken Hal in the second round and Mathis in the fifth somehow, like everyone would be like, oh yeah, that's great yeah and you know, it just the way the quarterbacks fell you know all of a sudden Hal's available in the fifth and it seems like a steal yet everyone agreed that he shouldn't have been taken sooner because otherwise somebody would have taken him. And, yeah. and that's that's kind of the weird thing about this whole process is we talk about the differences in like the mock drafts or whatever. And, and, and like you said, just to underline this point, that happens within teams. Like the Washington yeah. commander's grade on any one of these players is representative of a consensus of people yeah. where – One scout, and maybe the scout that knew him best, maybe the scout that watched Sam Howell the most throughout the year, that area scout who saw him play in person three to five times, maybe seven or eight times over the last two years, talked to him at the combine, like, has a relationship. Maybe that scout liked him in the first round, and everyone else was like, no 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 no. Shut like up, dude. Yeah. Right. And and so you just don't know or maybe the quarterback's coach. Zamp- maybe Zampese loved him as, as right. a first rounder and everyone else is like, eh, I don't know. You know, it, and it's just it's important to remember that this is a process with a lot of input within forget teams. even teams, yeah. scouting departments. The scouting yeah. department has its own thing. The coaching staff and those two things come those two groups come together. And then maybe you have a GM, depending on the team, who's big scouting. You know, Some GMs are more cap guys. Some are more scout. You have a former scout kind of GM. They come in with their own tape and, and opinion. Your are VPs and directors of, of pro personnel. like they, You will take, for instance, a pro personnel director, have them watch your college guys as a second look so that they come in with some fresh eyes that's yes. used to watching NFL tape, and, yeah. and you get that opinion. So there's just so much... There's so much input, and this is so dissected. It's hard. And then I think the other part of it is this. The farther back you get in the draft, the less of a big deal that is to me. Yes. Because yeah. your first round pick, it's like spending $1,000. And then by right. the second round, you're spending $100. So you still want to be careful about how you're spending $100, yeah. but it's not the same as spending $1,000. And then by the time you're in the third round, like you're spending 20 And if yeah. you paid $20 for a $10 guy, okay, you overpaid, but by 10 bucks versus, oh, God, we bought a you know, $150 guy for 1000 in the first round. That's bad. Yeah. Versus, yeah. you know, we spent $100 on a, on a $90 guy, like maybe is the case with Mathis.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you were talking about that. And, like, Dallas drafted Tyler Smith in the first round. Mm-hmm. And so I called all my old line buddies before the draft started. and I said, oh, what do you think of so-and-so tackle, so-and-so tackle? And they kind of go through, and I was like, is there anybody that I'm missing that you, that you really like? And I'm not even kidding you, this never happens. They all were like, Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith from Tulsa is the guy that I think you should keep an eye on. Like, I think he's, I would kill to have him in the second. You know, like, I wouldn't be mad if they drafted him in the first. And then no one in the media knew about him. No one. And then Mm -hmm. I want to say, it was like maybe three weeks before the draft, Jano Jeremiah, because he's really dialed in with all the pro scouts guys, he started talking about Tyler Smith. And then that kind of started the Tyler Smith hype train. And then right. when Dallas drafted him in the first round, all the media was like, that's a reach, that's terrible. But every single coach that I talked to was on the Tyler Smith train 100% between the first and the second round. And that's where he was drafted, in, like in the bottom of the first, early second round. And to me, like, the media thinks that's a reach. But I don't think there's one coach that would be like, that's a reach. And so I think that, that's that's another thing that needs to be considered in this evaluation. Like, just because you've heard the name or just because you saw the name in a mock draft as a fan, I'm the same way, so I'm not like criticizing fans for doing this. Just because you see a name does not mean that the NFL values that same player the way the media values that player. The media gets all hyped up about Kyle Hamilton, he's this, he's that. You talk to scouts, talk to any NFL scout, and I guarantee you none of them had him in the top five. Like, I guarantee you. The consensus was he's a good player, he's a box safety think Cam Chancellor he doesn't have the range to play middlefield. And you're like, "Okay." And then you watch the film and I agree with that. So my evaluation coincided with that. But I think that's also important to understand like guys get hyped up, their agents call people, their agents want to get guys in their mock drafts. It pushes people up the board. That's so important to understand when kind of looking at this whole aggregate, right? So back to Fedarian. Fedarian good football player. I don't think it's terrible value. I think it's solid. Like when you look at the other people that were drafted around him, he is an NFL starting defensive player that makes this scheme, this team better specifically because his fit here is outstanding. And I think that's what they did. They found outstanding fits with their first four picks that are good, have a clear path to the field, that like football, that love football. And I think that's the important thing for fans to take away from this draft.
0: That's great stuff. Logan Paulson, just killing it. If you want all this stuff, again, uh, at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Uh, And then he's got some of these video breakdowns there and as well as on the commander's website. So make sure you check those out um, to see kind of how this fit works and and all that kind of stuff. And we'll obviously be getting into it with, you know, as we get to see it on the field in OTAs. And then ultimately, uh, once we get into training camp and the regular season.